grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our meditation this morning is the gospel lesson that we just read and the text for Jesus' first sermon at his homecoming in Nazareth. He got to choose. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah is brought to him. And he takes that scroll and he unrolls it and he finds the place. He finds this word. That's remarkable. Because there's not a pericope like we have, a set of readings for each Sunday over the course of three years. No, instead, Jesus chooses the text for what he will speak on. He chooses Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls the scroll back up, and he hands it to the attendant, and then he begins his sermon. And it's a pretty simple sermon from what is recorded. We know that more was said, and the people um, were marveled at the gracious words that he spoke, But the words that we have recorded of his sermon are these. Jesus says in response to this text, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled as you are hearing these words. What an amazing proclamation. You know, who who did the people think that Jesus was? Well, it's obvious in the text. They thought he was Joseph's son. We know this guy. We know Joseph's son. We know Jesus. We know who you are. You grew up here. You've been around here. We watched you running on the streets when you were growing up. We watched you at your father's shop when he was a carpenter and would work. We know you. We've seen you. And now you stand up and proclaim that the Scriptures are fulfilled in this hearing and reading? Jesus, who do you think you are? Well, that's the message of the sermon, isn't it? That's the message of every sermon um, ever since, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Who does he think he is? And who do I think that he is? Now the world is going to have a huge problem with what Jesus just said. And it's going to be evident in how they respond to these words. And I think that everything was probably going along just fine. I don't think anybody was, was overly offended by the fact that Jesus said, these words are now fulfilled in your hearing. No, it's when he goes a little bit deeper. And when they said and they responded, aren't you Joseph's son? Jesus responds with these words, doubtless that you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up 
three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them except to only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now this is going to hit a nerve. Because first century people, especially first century Jews, would have thought and would have believed and would have just understood that they are God's chosen. And so for Jesus to come and say that there were many widows in Israel, but the prophet wasn't sent to any of those other widows, but only to this non-Jewish widow in Zarephath. Now what happened in Zarephath? And what Jesus is doing is he is referencing 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 24. That's the reference here. What happened there? We talked about this a couple months ago, the widow at Zarephath. Remember, um, she was out in front of the city gates and she was gathering up wood to make her last meal. This is the same widow. And as Jesus comes in, and, um, and her son, and she and her son, they're gonna, she's making her last meal for her and her son. Her son falls ill and then suddenly dies. And she actually blames the prophet Elijah for all of this. Elijah takes the son up into his room, and he lays himself over the son three times, and he prays to God. And the widow's son is raised to life from death. You see, that's why Jesus makes reference to this, this widow in Zarephath. Because he is about to do the very same thing for those who are actually hearing him, but they can't get it or understand it. They want Jesus to be something else. They want Jesus to be worldly. And Jesus is not worldly. They want Jesus' kingdom to be of and in this world. And it's not. The question today is, what do you want Jesus to be? Do you want him to be a, a fixer of problems? Just a fixer of, of your problems? Do you want him to be the, the, the marriage counselor that, that you and your wife uh, uh, just need more than anything else? To make everything right. Or maybe you want Jesus, the physician, the healer, so that you can be made well. Jesus didn't come here to do any of those things. And the only reason why he does any of those things and miracles is to show his glory for a higher and more real purpose. And that's the sermon for today. That he is the fulfillment of this scripture. Not only that, he is the fulfillment of all Scripture. He's not Joseph's son. He is the son of God. And if that weren't enough, then he goes on to Elisha and says that there were many lepers in Israel. But Elijah was not sent to any of them. But he was only sent to Naaman, the Syrian a non-Jewish commander of a foreign army who was very victorious. In the book, the, the Scripture says that, that God was with Naaman. Naaman was a leper. 
And so Naaman, beside himself, doesn't know what to do. His servant, who is a Jewish girl, tells Naaman, why don't you go down to Jerusalem because there is a prophet there who can heal you. Naaman goes down to Jerusalem and he visits with Elisha. And Elisha tells him, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman's a little bit offended because he thinks and he knows that and he thinks that there is better water in Syria. Why do I have to wash in the dirty water of the Jordan? Why can't I just wash in the pure waters in, back in Syria? But the servant girl says, just do it and see what happens. So Naaman goes to the Jordan and he washes seven times and he's healed. You see, Jesus is pointing the people hearing the text that morning and all of us to the healing waters. Not just of the Jordan, but to the healing waters now of baptism. As Jesus is bringing this text out and preaching on it, he talks about in the last verse of, of Isaiah to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's making reference to the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee in the Jewish tradition is once every 50 years. And it's on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on the Yom Kippur, on the 50th year, there is a year of Jubilee. That means that every debt is forgiven. In Israel. Every, all the land is reverted back to the former owners. It's the idea of the year of Jubilee is to get everything back to perfection. To usher back in this Garden of Eden. Well, Jesus is the year of Jubilee. He is, by definition, Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Jewish boys and girls will participate in bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. That's the son and daughter of commandment. Or son and daughter of righteousness. Jesus, as He gets up and as He preaches, is proclaiming, I am, by definition, bar mitzvah. I am the Son of Righteousness. He is the Son of God. And our Christian Yom Kippur, our Christian Day of Atonement, it's Good Friday. That is the day that ushers in the year of Jubilee. The year of presence with our God when God raises Jesus from the dead. And so now every day is a Yom Kippur. Every day is a day of atonement for us as Christians. Every day is the beginning of a year of jubilee where the Garden of Eden is ushered back in by this, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. The Old Testament lesson in Nehemiah, we're not going to get deep into it, but I just want to get to the response of the people when the law is reintroduced to them. You see, the law had been lost. And as it's, been re as it's being re reintroduced, and as it is being spoken, it's, they've never heard it before. And now this is the first time that they are hearing it now. 
because it had been lost. And when they hear it, they weep and mourn. And the prophet says, don't weep and mourn, but rejoice. And what is their response? It's right there in verse 6. Amen. Amen. That's their response. It means let it be so. The response of the people to Jesus' sermon here is take him to the brow of a hill and kill him. What's your response today to Jesus in your life? And as this word reaches you, what is your response? Is it kill him? Or is it amen? God creates in us the amen. Our lives are amen lives. Our response to this grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and rising again from the dead is amen. Lord, yes, let it be so. The final day when Jesus comes again with trumpet, that will be our response. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And now may the peace of God, which transcends our ability to understand, keep your hearts and your minds always never focused on your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen.